Coming to you live from the Badlands of Texas, you're listening or you're watching Midnight Radio from Southern Australia to Northern Ireland and into the earbuds, the earbuds in your ears. I'm your host, Gerald Schmemans. Hello, Fruit Loops. How are you doing tonight? I hope you're all doing fantastic. And if you don't yet claim to be a Fruit Loop, you listen to the show long enough and you will be, I still consider you a friend. Shalom. Yes, I'm drinking that coffee. Which cup? What number of the day? I don't know. What are we going to talk about? Hello, Laura. See, Laura in the chat room. Lisa Maxwell, everybody. I'd like to say, before we start, we're going to talk about... We're going to start We're talking about the Idaho 4. I got some new information. I mean, literally brand new. We're also going to go over the full Bill Thompson document. And before we do that, we're going to go over this new bit of information we got. And I got a lot of crazy, crazy ass stories. Um, cases, right? There's like a, a crime spree of... No arm men. I didn't say one arm. I didn't say a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. I said there's a crime spree of no arm men. More than one. Uh, but you could guess it is in the same state. I don't know if you can guess what state it is. But we're going to go over that at the very end of the show. Before that, we have a, a lot of other stories to go over. The phone line is now open. I'm willing to talk to you. At any time. Phone number is 325 I'd like to thank our executive producer, Lady Lisa. Lady Lisa, thank you very much. Hope you guys like the videos we've been putting out lately. We've got a lot more of them. Hello, Backseat Gamer, Miss Kelly. I'm ready to start now. Almost ready to start. I know a lot of you have a favorite person on Twitter, and her name is Jennifer Koffendoffer. Can you guys see that? Of course you can. How about this? Is that better? All right. Here's what Jennifer says. Hashtag Brian Kohlberger. Important hearing on August 18, 2023 concerning discovery and motion to stay. The defense wants time to stand still, but it shouldn't. Judge Judge spoke. The defense will plead for more time to push the speedy trial envelope. Also, the motion to compel I uh, the motion to compel will be addressed. They will hammer out it. There is anything left to be turned over. All right, here's what she meant. They will hammer out if there is anything left to be turned over. This is routine, sure, but damn, man, she has a lot of followers. Let me look at how many followers she has. I got eight because I'm big time. I'm big time. You know what? Well, I'm just goofing around here. How do I do this? I don't know how to do the Twitters. How do you do the Twitters? Y'all need to call and tell me how to do the Twitters. I'm verklempt. She's following 37, and she's followed by 70,000. Maybe I need a new, maybe I need a media team for myself. Maybe I need to join the media team she does. Maybe I can be an EagleSecurityGroup.com expert witness. He look like a man. He went that way. He was naked as a jaybird, Ethel. I told Ethel, don't look, but he was running. That's what kind of expert witness I would be. All right, let's go back to me. 
I don't like talking about myself. I don't mean to brag or anything. I have eight. Hell am I? Hello, iHeartRadio. Eight followers. Maybe you could be ninth. I got a spot saved just for you. I'm going to put that in the chat room for you guys that want to follow me on Twitter. And you'll know when I go live. And you'll know when I go live on the radio and do sets and party on the radio, burning it up on iHeartRadio. All right. So, Coffin Doffer. She's talking about, damn it, where you go, Coffin Doffer. All right. Let's look at that again. Let's look at the date. That's all we care about. August 18th. And this is a direct response to what I'm about to read to you. Bill and Ann Taylor shooting it out. I put a video that was more detailed about it. Well, more specifically, how uh, Bill Thompson is a bad man, pajama. Bill is the kind of person I could see, you know, maybe hanging out with and having a beer with, even though I don't drink. Or I could have a, uh, what, uh, ice cold sparkling water with a man. Let's look at this, shall we? I wish you'd look at this. Let's look at this. Come on, let's look. I'm going to read this. I'm using X. I'm going to get rid of X so bad, and I will. It's like I got rid of Discord. Here we go. In the district court of the second judicial district of the state of Idaho, in and for the county of Lataw, um, let me read what this is first. Objection to defendants, second motion to stay proceeding, and they're going to have a hearing on the 18th about this. Oh, and I'm going to cover because this is Bill Santa Claus Thompson. He's going to duke it out with Ann Taylor, and they're going to do it on June 18th, everybody. And I'm going to report about it right here. Is that June 18th? Am I right? August 18th. Please forgive me. August 18th. Taint. All right, here we go. Comes now the state of Idaho by and through the Lataw County prosecuting attorney and objects to the defendant's second motion to stay proceedings. We are going to go over this paperwork. The badass Bill Thompson submitted because the defendant has not factually asserted a substantial failure to comply with the Uniform Jury Selection and Service Act, his motion should be denied. Now, I'm going to read what Bill wrote. He's going to make his case to you, the jury, and I want to hear from you on the phone if one of you is brave enough or just in the chat room if you think that Bill is right. That's right. Here we go. Before ever reviewing any of the grand jury materials to determine whether a violation of Idaho's Uniform Jury Selection and Service Act had actually occurred, the defendant was determined to obtain a stay in this case. And so, he filed his first motion to stay under Idaho Code 2-213 on June the 13th without knowing whether he had any basis in law or fact to make such a request. The defendant asked this court to grind the litigation in this matter to a halt because he intended, he intended to contest the indictment and desired to discover the grounds. I quote here, he says, quote, I quote here, discover the grounds upon which to file a motion to dismiss related to the, how the grand jury was selected, unquote. 
The court declined to grant relief under the subsection, instead issued a limited stay, ordering that speedy trial be told for a period of 37 days. Order staying time for speedy trial. July the 7th. The state has moved to reconsider that order. An argument is set for August 18th, 2023. Oh, so you're telling me that our, we report about it first and then Koffendoffer looks at what we report and reports it like it's news to our 70,000 followers? Damn. Well, I'll tell you what, my eight followers knew about it first. How about that? Having now reviewed the grand jury materials provided since his initial motion, the defendant has delivered on his promised strategy. Yes, he did. He seeks a stay to buy more time to challenge the indictment in this case. In support of his second motion to stay, the defendant submitted the affidavit of Ann Taylor, filed under seal. Through that affidavit, the defendant argues for a stay, relying solely on Idaho. Let me, well, hold on a second. I'm crying bullshit on this. Let's go back to Koffendoffer. They weren't hammering out. There is anything left to be turned over. This is routine. Hey, everybody. Hey, you don't want her to come on your news show and tell you shit because she is boring. All right. This is not normal. I don't care what she says and everything. All the law is different in every state because there's different precedences. No, look, we're going through this. We're going through all these different items. And guess what? They're all Idaho items. Uh, Idaho code. Because it's idle. Everything is different. You don't know what the hell you're saying, and you say it's the same. It's not the same. Fuck that. Bill Thompson is a poet. Would you look at this? Man, he could tell anybody off. This is your man. You wouldn't, if you were in a biker bar, you wouldn't worry about getting into a fight. If Bill was there and he was your friend, he could talk the man that was going to beat your, the biker was going to beat your ass. He could talk him into beating himself. All right. That's a fact. We're going to go through this. Tell me if I'm wrong or not. The phone number is 325-261-0892. I want to know what you think. Or there's a chat room. We're going to continue with the poetry of Bushy Bill Thompson right now. Having now reviewed the grand jury materials providing provided since his initial motion the defendant has delivered on his promised strategy he seeks a stay to buy more time to challenge the indictment in this case in support of a second motion to say the defendant submitted the affidavit of ann taylor my arch nemesis he didn't say that filed under seal through the affidavit the defendant argues for a stay relying solely on texas code vermont code washington code no Idaho code, meaning it is codified, meaning that it's on the precedent of Idaho. So it's all different. Every justice system is a little bit different. I I would actually like to hear from a lawyer that went from practicing in one state and moved to another state and know what that process entails. This motion like that should be denied. He brings that up twice because he's a good writer. I'm excited about this. Not only, I'm not much into poetry, but just as a writer, as a persuasive speaker, you don't see this very often. 
I, I swear to God, this man did this himself. He didn't let some overlay do it. He went through this and he drove the point home. You denied it before, deny it like you did before again. And at the end, he says the same thing because this is a point he wants driven home to those who read it, which are us. This is Bill speaking to you. All right. You can feel his beard on your ear as I speak. Here we go. The Uniform Jury Selection and Service Act is concerned with the procedural mechanisms put in place by the courts in selecting grand and trial juries. Specifically, the purpose of the act is to ensure that all persons selected for jury service be selected at random from a fair cross-section of the population of the area served by the court and that all qualified citizens have the opportunity in accordance with this act to be considered for jury service in this state and an obligation to serve as jurors when summoned for that purpose. Idaho Code, Idaho Code 2-202 to that end. The act prohibits discrimination against jurors. Again, he made a little squiggly mark there. All right, that's called italicis, italicis. This act prohibits discrimination against jurors, emphasis, on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, or economic status. Code, Idaho Code-203 establishes the process for appointment of jury commissioner and the process of reimbursing the jury commissioner for travel and other expenses. Idaho Code-205 establishes a procedure by which jury lists are maintained, Idaho Code 2-206, sets forth a procedure by which the court must update those jury lists, Idaho Code 2-207, establishes a procedure for the courts to issue juror questionnaires and summons, Idaho Code 2-08, all right, Idaho, we're still talking about Idaho Code, and sets forth other processes and procedures all right, this is Bill. He's summing it up and driving it home in his last sentence. So beautiful. And sets forth other processes and procedures to ensure that grand and trial juries are fairly selected from reasonable cross-section of the community. That's what it does. The act does not address any damn thing Ann Taylor says. No. The act does not address, nor does it provide a remedy for individual juror bias or statements made by the court during the jury selection process. Thus, to the extent that defendants' concerns are based on such allegations, see the affidavit of Ann Taylor, paragraph two, two such issues fall outside the scope of the act and cannot form a basis for the state defendant seeks. For the stay, the defendant seeks. B, defendant's allegations regarding the exclusion of clerical information on some of the questionnaires do not fall within the scope of the act. Defendant asserts that the court-issued questionnaires constitute a failure of mechanism in drawing a grand jury pool. In support of this argument, defendant asserts that some of the questionnaires did not include certain numerical information at the top of the page. See Taylor's affidavit, 
four, paragraph four. However, the information referenced by the defendant is not required by the act. See Idaho code 208. Further, the information is not even included in the model from promulgated by the Idaho Supreme Court. That's a hell of a word, Bill. See Idaho court, administrative rule 62, uh, subsection C, appendix A, available at, click it right here, model juror qualification questionnaire form that does not include the information referenced by the defendant. Thus, this issue also falls totally outside the scope of the act and almost into the realm of bullshit. C, defendant's suggestion that court should maintain separate qualified juror lists for grand juries and trial juries misreads the plain language of Idaho Code 2 that's 08. In other words, it's so simple she can't understand it, ladies and gentlemen. Bill continues here. Through Mrs. Taylor's affidavit, defendant argues the Idaho Code 2-208 states that, quote, individuals must be randomly drawn from the county jury list and that the jury commissioner shall draw a requisite number of qualified juries for one or more panels or for a grand jury. Taylor, affidavit, paragraph one, emphasis in original. Thus, the defense asserts the panel was improperly brought in as a grand jury. Later, the defense again points out that the language of the statute uses the word or between jury panels and a grand jury panel. Emphasis in original, paragraph three. This is a misreading of the plain language of the statute. All right, let's go back down. I lost my place because I hit a button. Don't! Sorry, this writing. This writing, Bill Thompson, got me excited, everybody. I hit the space bar. Something you don't want to do while you hit a PDF, I tell you. All right. Man, I went down way too far. All right, here we go. C, defendant's suggestion that court shall maintain separate qualified juror lists for grand juries and trial juries misreads the plain language of the Idaho Code. Through Ms. Taylor's affidavit, defendant argues the Idaho Code states that individuals may be randomly drawn from a county jury list and that a jury commissioner shall draw a requisite number of qualified juries for the one or more panels or for a grand jury. Thus, the defense asserts the panel was improperly brought in as a grand jury. Later, the defense again points out that the language of the statute uses the word or between jury panels and a grand jury panel this is a misreading of plain language of the statute and here it is the court or any other state or county official having authority to conduct a trial or hearing with a jury within the county may direct the jury commissioner to draw 
and assign to that court or official the number of qualified jurors deemed necessary for one or more grand jury panels or underline as required by law for a grand jury. Upon receipt of the direction and in a manner prescribed by the court, the jury commission shall publicly draw at random by use of a manual mechanical or automated system from the county jury list, the number of prospective jurors specified. Idaho Code 208 emphasis added, plainly the word or appears because the requisite number of jurors for a misdemeanor felony or a civil trial jury is not always the same as the requisite number for a grand jury. Nothing in the act requires that court maintain separate lists for grand or trial juries. The court should decline to entertain this misreading of this act. And may I add, it is preposterous. D. As to the remainder of the defendant's allegations, he has not alleged a substantial failure to comply with the act. Even if defendant can factually establish that a violation occurred, defendant has not met his burden of demonstrating a substantial failure to comply with the act. Instead, the defendant asked the court to enter a stay in this case by raising allegations of technical violations without ever explaining how any reached the substantial standards set forth in the statute, apparently inviting the court to apply a strict liability standard. According to Taylor Affidavit, paragraph 5, but the act does not sweep so broadly. Only a substantial failure to comply can trigger a stay. Upon motion filed under subsection 1 of this section containing a sworn statement of facts, which, if true, would constitute a substantial failure to comply with this chapter, the moving party is entitled to present in support of the motion the testimony of the jury, commissioner, or clerk, any relevant records and papers, not public or otherwise available, used by the jury commissioner or the clerk, and any other relevant evidence. If the court determines that in select in selecting either grand jury or jury trial, that has been a substantial failure, substantial failure, emphasis, they said it twice, to comply with this chapter, the court shall stay the proceedings pending the selection of the jury in conformity with this chapter, quashing indictment, or grant other appropriate leaf. And what, if, what is a substantial failure? A, a substantial failure is something that hindered the scope of what the jury is supposed to do, of what the paperwork was supposed to do. And what was that? To have a fair jury, to have a balanced jury, to have a jury in the uh, from the place that the court has jurisdiction over. Anything outside of that would have been a substantial failure. Thus, to obtain a stay, defendant cannot merely allege that a violation occurred. He can't pull one from his caster. The defendant must allege that a substantial violation occurred. Setting aside the claims of juror bias and missing numerical information on the questionnaire, forms that fall wholly outside the scope of the act. The court has before it three issues related to the questionnaires. First, that one of the grand jurors marked a box indicating that they do not comprehend English. Again, one of the jurors marked a box indicating that they do not comprehend English. Second, that one of the jurors disclosed that they were a prior criminal defendant. And third, 
though one of the grand jurors did not mark whether they were a prior criminal defendant and did not sign and affirm the truth of responses. The court should dismiss out of hand without thinking about it again. The arguments related to prior criminal history because being a prior criminal defendant does not preclude someone from sitting on a grand jury. See Idaho Code 2-208. Setting forth qualification questionnaire requirements instead. Only those with a felony criminal conviction felony criminal conviction are disqualified from serving on a grand jury. See Idaho Code 2 209. Thus, this allegation falls outside the scope of the act altogether, and it's complete horse poop. The final two allegations concern the duty of the courts to follow up when a juror is not qualified to serve or when a questionnaire is not fully completed. See Idaho Code 2-209. The administrative district judge or administrative district judge designee upon request or on its own initiative shall determine on the basis of information provided on the qualification questionnaire whether a jury is disqualified. Uh, See Idaho Code-2-208. If it appears that there is an omission, the clerk or the jury commissioner shall again send the forms with instructions to make the necessary addition. This is one of my favorite parts, guys. So I'm going to read this again. The clerk or the jury commissioner shall again send the form with instructions to make necessary addition. You know, and they do that and they send you that little sticky note that has a little arrow on there and like, hey, sign this, jackass, right? Okay, but here's my favorite part. Now, the defendant alleges that one of the grand jurors submitted an incomplete questionnaire and suggests that this somehow violated the act. But the submission of an incomplete form is not a violation of the act. In fact, the act contemplates that incomplete that incomplete forms will be submitted, in which case the statute requires only that the jury commissioner again send the form with instructions to the prospective juror to make the necessary addition, clarification, or correction, and to return the form to the jury commission within 10 days after its second mailing. Idaho Code 208, subsection 3. Notably... The statute requires, here we go, you ready for it? Notably, the statute requires no additional follow-up after the jury commissioner simply sends out the form a second time within 10 days. That's it. He sends it out. It doesn't matter if he gets it back or not. Ow. This one, I can just see Ann Taylor reading this and and just feeling like she got her ass spanked. She got a bill. Oh, my ass. Oh, I can imagine that in her mind. I bet she got mad. That means that there are two problems with the defendant's incomplete form theory. First, just as with the checkbox allegation above, the defense affidavit does not even allege that the juror, that the juror, the jury commissioner failed to follow this process in response to the incomplete questionnaires. They didn't even look at that. They didn't talk about that. And thus, defendant is not entitled to a stay. I don't know. I can just see Bill with his suspenders going like this. Requiring for a stay 
A sworn statement of facts, which, if true, would constitute a substantial failure to comply with this chapter. Second, even if that allegation had been made, the jury commissioner's mere failure to conduct the ministerial task of sending the questionnaire out a second time cannot accurately be described as a substantial failure to comply with this statute. As to the allegation that a grand juror checked a box indicating that he or she did not comprehend the English language, it is entirely accurate that an individual who actually cannot comprehend the English language is not qualified to sit on a grand jury. See Idaho Code 2-209, paragraph 1, subsection A. Setting forth the requirement that jurors read, speak, and understand the English language and the act provides a process by which the court may determine the qualification of grand jurors, either upon request or upon its own initiative, Idaho Code 2-209, that this grand jury was presumably able to otherwise complete the questionnaire form entirely in English <laughs> and to participate in the grand jury proceedings. So they just checked that they couldn't comprehend English and they filled it out in English. More importantly, however, the defense does not even allege that the administrative district court's judge or designee failed to follow up on this particular questionnaire, Idaho Code 2-209, paragraph 2, subsection B. Thus, the defendant has not alleged any violation of the act, let alone a substantial one. Conclusion. Conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, most of the allegations submitted by the defendant fall entirely outside of the Uniform Jury Selection Service Act. The few that remain do not factually allege a substantial failure to comply with the act. The court should decline to indulge the defendant's already stated intention to buy more time to engage in various litigation strategies, this motion, like his last, should be denied. Bill Thompson, everybody! <laughs> Holy poopy. Oh, I get excited when I see good writing. And Taylor's writing is not exciting. I'm going to check in now that I have Afterglow of reading such beautiful writing. While I'm basking in the Afterglow, I'm going to check. Oh, it's good. Was it good for you too? I'm going to check the chat room here, and then we're going to move on to our next story. Boss Mac, is Boss Mac in here? Was he? Maybe, maybe not. Basically, they're objecting to GJ challenge, but not addressing what AT brought to their attention. Only talk about this and that. It's not what she was objecting to. I don't know. What all did I miss here? Boss Mac, if the Constitution is our legal foundation, we should always depend on Amen, and God bless America. Boss Mac on the house, everybody. 
All right, Boss Max says, here's my question of the day. Do you think that whoever did this thought it would have gotten this much attention from the internet and the media? No idea. You're talking about the murder, I presume? I don't think anybody can comprehend when something gets out of hand in the media, in the uh, social media. Even if they do it on purpose, I don't think they can comprehend. Regardless of his guilt or non-guilt, he seems annoying to me at this point in time. Ah, Potter, H. Potter. Yeah, Bill can save all his poetry for his songwriting. Have a grand jury is deciding whether or not I should stand trial for murder. I want all of them to understand English. What's up, H. Potter? He did. He filled out the whole form in English, wrote on it and everything. He even uh, took part in it. Yeah, the jury form in there. He didn't say, hey, man, this guy don't speak English. I see where you're coming from, though. Everybody clap for Santa. H. Potter saying June because I misspoke. So you're going to hit me up on that? August 18th. August 18th. August 18th. August 18th. I, I stand corrected. August 18th. I've already corrected myself. August 18th. You know, people have conversations and we don't even realize... And, you know, I'm the worst about this. When I'm watching something, I'm always watching from a mile back. I'm watching from a mile back and not where everybody's at. Check this out. Imagine a driver hits your son. So as a father, you go out and shoot him. That story coming up right now. Tragedy in Person County this morning after a driver hits and kills a teenager who was walking along the road. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Angela Taylor. And I'm Rod Carter. The hit and run victim's father is now accused of shooting and killing the driver that hit his son. CBS 17's Mariah Ellis is live at the Person County Sheriff's Office with this story. Mariah, what have you been able to find out about this? Out there on that road, deputies did tell us that they had at least one neighbor that actually came up to them and told them that they actually had about a close call when they saw this family walking near that road. And they tell us this family actually stopped and parked their car on the side of the road because they had ran out of gas. A narrow country road in Timberlake. This road is, has a lot of traffic on it all the time because it's a cut through. Neighbors like Patty Elliott startled Monday morning, noticing a line of patrol vehicles and agencies along Dink Ashley Road. I thought it was just a car accident. And that was my first concern, but when I walked across the road, look, I know we didn't see a call. Around 6 a.m., Person County Sheriff's deputies say it's where a juvenile whose family members identified as 17-year-old Chad Woods Jr. was hit and killed. Family saying the teen had worked at Pellis Point in Roxboro. He was the second oldest of four brothers. Investigators say the family had pulled over after running out of gas. They were walking to their home nearby on Cedar Creek Road. The driver actually tried to get help in that moment. He did. He's the one that initially called 911. Before help could arrive, Sergeant Kevin Morris says the teen's father shot the driver and took off with the man's truck. They found the vehicle outside the family's home. Police say the driver died from his injuries after being rushed to the hospital. He's been identified as Jeffrey McKay of Youngsville and worked as an electrical supervisor for the North Carolina Department of Adult Correction. 
direction. Suspect of the shooting told us that he threw the gun in this pond. For hours, divers and crews searched the pond in soybean field nearby, unable to locate the weapon. Deputies later arrested Chad Woods Sr. In connection to the shooting, he faces charges of second-degree murder and larceny of a motor vehicle. It makes it kind of sad. You know, and I feel I feel bad for him because he was trying to do the right thing and he ends up just like the young juvenile did. It's a terrible thing to happen. The deputies told us that they actually paused that search mainly because of this heat that they had. They said it was pretty warm out there. especially. All right, so let me break this down again for you. Uh, guys, they're at the side of the road. They're working on their car. Some other car comes in, runs over the man's son, and the guy takes his gun out, and he kills the driver that killed his son. How do you guys feel about that? Do you feel like that is fair? Do you feel like he should justify? Do you feel like he should get should get uh, manslaughter? That's what the guy probably got for killing the son, and he's dead now. Do you think he did him a favor? By killing them so he didn't have to go through the process, the the legal process of getting punished for killing the other guy's son. I wanna know what you think. Don't tell me you don't care. Three two five two six one zero eight nine two. I'm live right now. You can call in, talk to me if you want to, or you can leave me a message if we're not live. I bet you guys didn't even hear about this. What about an arrest made in connection with a woman's body being found wrapped in plastic in a U-Haul truck? Did you guys hear about this? Absolutely horrible. She had young kids also. Tara Grove's family tells me they have been waiting for months for an arrest. And during the investigation, police learned that Groves is not the only woman whose body has been found inside John B. Wilson's home. John B. Wilson's arrest brings relief to 25-year-old Tara Grove's loved ones, a loving and kind mother of two that Rick McIntosh considers his daughter and was her legal guardian. We weren't expecting it this fast, but... When I found out that it was done, uh, we were happy. We were just excited. Police say Grove's body was found wrapped in plastic in a U-Haul truck on June 9th. Investigators say the truck was reported stolen, and Wilson left it at a storage facility off the Katy Freeway. What was it like getting that phone call? Hmm. I still break up. The loss of a daughter. Investigators say empty Narcan containers, a glass pipe, and meth were found in the plastic with Grove's body. The medical examiner ruling her death as an overdose. McIntosh says Grove struggled with drugs in the past but had a strong support system. The police report shows she texted a friend days before her body was found, saying she was going to be at a house. She told police Groves typically would send her locations if she was going to do drugs. If she was out late, she usually said where she was at. The address she gave turned out to be Wilson's home. Investigators believe Groves died at his house. I'm not trying to say anybody was a prostitute, but I'm saying a young 25-year-old girl with a man like this with a face, his face looks like a nut sack that's been dipped in Cheetos. I'm trying, you see what I'm saying here? This is horrible. People have issues, and sometimes uh, they're estranged from the family. Sometimes they're not. But I'm saying this man would not have had a chance with a woman like that if there wasn't some kind of addiction 
involved. So it's like the old story. Um, there's a dead prostitute in the trunk or the old joke, right? Uh, you know, the trooper pulls a man over. You don't have any prostitutes in your trunk, do you? Something like that. It's not funny. Records show Wilson's friend called police saying they let him borrow their U-Haul truck and Wilson told them a woman's body was in the truck. Wilson told his friend he didn't call police because a different woman died at his house in February. In that case, police say he called 911 but was not arrested or charged. She was very loving. She was fun to be with. She had her ups and her downs. Um, She helped other people. Grant Williams, everybody, put some real, I think it was Grant, was it you, Grant, or was it boss he put it very eloquently drugs explain all sorts of things but it doesn't excuse anything it doesn't hot ham said yeah drugs suck except weed i hate drugs but i love weed i got some weed stories coming up for you straight turpin weed stories people mcintosh says i deserved way more i'll make you happy with my weed stories coming up and how she was found. And detectives say they did talk to Wilson on the phone and he told them that Groves came over to do drugs at his house, stole fentanyl, and then left at some point, but he never mentioned anything about her death. He also is accused of trying to pay his friend 20000 He was just a fun guy. That's all. People like to hang out with him. That's all. Dollars to take the blame. Now he is being held here in jail on a $35,000 bond and he is expected to appear in court on Monday. Reporting live from downtown. Ooh, he needs a good lawyer. I doubt he has one. What do you guys think? This is some crazy, this is some crazy, crazy stuff, guys. All right. I know you didn't hear about this. A teen boy, teen boy, teen, teen, 17 years old, charged in a terrorism plot by the FBI in Philly. Did you guys hear about this? I bet you did. Now y'all didn't even hear about, you know, right next door to Electra over there in uh, California. They had a Chinese, you know, virus lab going on. But check this out. And you're not going to believe what he did either. Residents in one West Philadelphia neighborhood say they are stunned after a teenager, a teenage neighbor of theirs, was arrested on terrorism charges. Well, CBS News Philadelphia reporter Wakisha Bailey is live with more on this story, including the connection investigators say he has with terrorists overseas. Good morning, Wakisha. Good morning, Jim Janelle. Well, investigators tell us that they had to move fast, but they have been keeping track of this teen's social media accounts as well as his most recent purchases, and that's allowed them to make an arrest as soon as Friday. Now, once again, that teen was arrested on Friday. He was removed from his Winfield home in West Philadelphia. Now, the FBI says the teen is being charged as part of a federal terrorism investigation. They say the teen allegedly communicated with a global terrorist group called K. TJ, which is also affiliated with Al-Qaeda. And, and it's also ran by the CIA. Dumbass. Investigators say the teen sent and received media containing terrorist propaganda, had guidance on committing criminal acts, and appeared to be taking steps to travel overseas to support terrorist activity. Now, the teen is being charged with weapons of mass destruction and criminal conspiracy, along with other related charges. And the DA says these charges are the most serious alleged terrorist activity prosecuted in Philadelphia County Court. Meanwhile, neighbors were alarmed. I wonder if they're going to wipe it off his record when he turns 18. There was an entire SWAT team out there. It was um, 
surprising and scary. That's um, devastating to hear. Wow. But I didn't know it was something. My goodness, it's that's, horrible. That's, that's insane. Oh that's my goodness. absolutely Most crazy. Most concerning, however, was the evidence that he had access to firearms Sorry. and had purchased items and materials commonly used in the construction of improvised explosive devices. And due to the seriousness of these allegations, the 17-year-old could be tried as an adult, but we're still waiting to confirm that information. Well, when he does, we will get his name right here on Midnight Radio. Hey, Grant, I've got something for you, sir, in your neck of the woods. Part of our segment we have every now and then called Meanwhile in Australia. Uh, We've talked about this several a uh, week ago and several days ago, but there's more information here. She looks, making her look pretty damn guilty. If you didn't think she was before, you get this information now and you're like, uh, um, still not arrested that I know of. When she is, I'll talk about it. Let me read this for you. And we'll get to the good stuff like the food dehydrator she used for mushrooms. The woman in Australia who cooked a meal using mushrooms suspected to have caused the deaths of three of her relatives gave a written statement to police on friday insisting that the frail that the fatalities were a tragic accident aaron patterson who has not been charged in connection with the case which has gripped australia the mushroom murders said she too was hospitalized after eating the beef wellington i've never had beef wellington i heard it was bill cosby's favorite dish not that those two are related. Authorities say Patterson's 70-year-old parents-in-law, Don and Gail Patterson, as well as Gail's 66-year-old sister, Heather Wilkinson, displayed symptoms associated with the ingestion of death cat mushrooms before they died following the lunch at Patterson's home in the town of Leongatha. How do you pronounce that, Grant? around 70 miles southeast of Melbourne on July 27th. Now, guys, the rule with mushrooms is don't eat anything. Don't eat any mushrooms that look like a penis. Stay away from them, no matter how tempting they are. Man sentenced, oh, what the hell is that, for a garden hose? All right. So Heather Wilkinson's husband, Ian Wilkinson, 68, was also left in critical condition after consuming the mushrooms. How old is she? She doesn't look that old. There she is, Mrs. Australia. It doesn't have her age. I think I think she's in her late 30s. All right, here we go. Here's where we get to the new information here. Her husband, who's left in critical condition, he remains in the hospital while waiting for liver transplant. That's one of the th- these things uh, these death cat mushrooms do is they kill your kidneys and your liver like instantly. Police said last week that Patterson is being treated as a suspect in the investigation into the deaths, but the detectives are keeping an open mind. Good for them because in America, they don't try to make it look like they're keeping an open mind. That's all you'd have to say. You don't have to really do it. In America, they don't do that. We're like, yeah, we're, uh, we arrested his ass and threw him in jail. We're keeping an open mind though. All right. You know, maybe somebody else, maybe they were keystring mushrooms. We don't know about that. I'm keeping an open mind, but check this out. The mushrooms have not yet been definitively ruled as causing 
the fatalities they're still doing chem tests on that and that'll be out soon but check this out this is where things get really 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 bad for her i'm not wanting to clear to clear up the record because this is her saying this pat she's 48 okay 48 her husband's 66 uh maybe she wants to get the old retirement fund a little bit early i don't know i'm not saying anything but i can't help but think that when i read this i'm not wanting to clear up the record because I've become extremely stressed and overwhelmed by the deaths of my loved ones. Patterson 48 said in her written statement to Victoria police, the Australian broadcasting corporation reported Monday. She added that she is devastated to think that these mushrooms may have contributed to the illness suffered by my loved ones. I really want to repeat that I have absolutely no reason to hurt these people whom I love. Patterson wrote. She also stated that she was sorry to have followed advice of giving police a no comment interview in the wake of the deaths. I now very much regret, regret not answering some questions following the advice given the nightmare that this process has become. She wrote calling the interview itself terrifying and anxiety promoting. All right here. We've, we've heard all that before. This is a brand new part. All right. The, Okay, here we go. We heard before also that her children didn't get the mushroom meal. It's amazing. Oh, and she didn't eat enough to be hurt. We Now we find out that she says she was hospitalized, but it doesn't say that they checked. I don't know, but check this out. She also contradicted initial police reports that her children were present in the house at the time of the meal, but they did not eat the food. Instead, she said this. She says the kids had gone to a movie before the lunch took place. A movie before lunch? Is that true? Do they watch movies in the theater before lunch, Grant? And they did eat the leftovers the following night. Patterson said the the children don't like mushrooms, so she scraped them off of the meal before serving the food. I know what you're thinking. Coincidence you're thinking. But check this out. Patterson said she required hospital treatment for stomach pains and dihoreha after eating the ill-fated dish and was given a liver protective drug. She also preserved what was left of the Wellington when her other guests fell seriously ill with health officials contacting her about what may have caused a severe sickness. The remains of the meal were handed to hospital toxicologists for analysis. Patterson claims, here's what she claims. She claims... That the meal involved in the dish were a mixture of button mushrooms bought at a well-known supermarket chain and dried mushrooms she had bought months before the meal at an Asian grocery store in Melbourne. All right? Dry one she bought at an Asian grocery store. And this is where... You smell that? What is that? Hold on. Seriously. Smells like bullshit. Although she was unable to identify the specific store in the case... Health officials sent her images of packs of mushrooms marked by handwritten labels, which resembled the pack she had described to them. Patterson also spoke about reports that police had seized a food dehydrator from a dump, and she confirmed that it belonged to her. She admitted that she lied to cops that she'd gotten rid of the device a long time ago and that she was speaking about the dehydrator with her kids at the hospital when her ex-husband whose parents died after eating the wellington asked her 
Is that what you used to poison them? Patterson explained that she feared losing custody of her children and in panic decided to dump the device. She added that she'd been close with her parents-in-law even after she became estranged from her husband, Simon Patterson, who was also supposed to attend the mill but canceled prior to the day. I had a deep love and respect for Simon's parents and had encouraged my children to spend time with their parents as I believe they were exceptional role models. Let's look at the comments, shall we? Ginny, one day ago, she picked the mushrooms, then dehydrated them for later use, went to an Asian store and bought dehydrated mushrooms so that she could later blame them. After watching Absentia, I can now say that my storyline makes a lot more sense than hers. She needs to check her morals. Dried mushrooms, which she'd bought months before the Melanesian grocery store in Melbourne, although she was unable to identify the specific store in the case. Sure, lady, sure. One more. I was kind of able to get on board with the whole excuse until... It got to the bit about discarded food dehydrator being found in the dump. Is this article implying that she lied about purchasing the mushrooms at an Asian market and instead gathered and dehydrated them herself? The other thing that's problematic is that those in attendance were her ex-in-laws. There's just this pile of incriminating or suspicious facts surrounding this event. This is one of those things where it's impossible to say she's guilty from reading this article. But having said that, I can tell you, I would not go near this woman under any circumstances. One more from Bo. She'd really serve the lunch into her loved ones. Where were her parents, sisters? Why? why there were only the loved ones from the estranged husband's side of the family. Oh my goodness. I'm going to read. I'm going to go here into the comment section and read some of your comments. Phone number is three, two, five, two, six, one, zero, eight, nine, two. Call me if you like mushrooms. They make me laugh mushrooms, but I don't eat the poison ones. Well, only mildly poisoning. <laughs> Hot Ham Radio, I know that you're a female. I'm going to dream about you. Okay, just kidding. Maybe. Was she in their will? Very good question. Was she in the will? I don't know. We're going to hear more about this. I just know it. This is, this is funny, and that's why I'm going to talk about it. Boss Maka, don't bother, LOL. I'm literally a 37-year-old, single, white, Jewish, Catholic mom in Baltimore County. I dare you to dream about that. I do. Actually, now, now I'm thinking of you like church lady. Isn't that convenient? Listening while cooking... Late dinner for my family. Stay away from those penis-shaped mushrooms. Get you in trouble. Ow! All right, guys. I promise you, and Gerald Schmemann shall deliver, 
there is a crime spree going on by armless men. First, this one, this story here is straight turpin. An armless man arrested for illegally growing nearly 100 marijuana plants in Florida. So you don't have any more marijuana around you, though. No, I do not. Come on over here, man. Go ahead, face this way, okay? You got any more on you? I smell it. Yeah, I know. Where, where is that, though? Well, the sweater, the sweater was at a, a yeah. magical house. You had weed on the sweater? No, I do not. Okay, man, I gotta ask. I know, it's potent. It's very yeah, potent. Very potent. I promise not to. Not to fight anybody. Yeah, yeah I don't hurt anybody. Not not yeah, sounds like it. Did you come here on a DUI? No. No. Oh. No, that's why I, I thought it was yours. No, I actually got some pretty big charges, unfortunately. <laughs> what were you doing? Oh, I haven't had it. That was in the corner. Verme, you know this gentleman? I've never been arrested. Oh, no, no. Well, I don't know. The way I you're talking, I thought maybe you were your friend or something. <laughs> it's my charisma. You ever been arrested anywhere before? New Jersey. How long you lived out here? Three years. You like it? Not anymore. Okay, that's a good answer. That must be why you left New Jersey, too, huh? The iron cuffs aren't going to work. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to work either. Good try, though. Huh? So, what'd you bring in? How much? Like Oh, you were growing them at home. Yeah. You were doing it for a while. Not long. I mean, you know, I came in here to play. I, you know, I'm almost sorry that I feel like I lied to you because I don't think this guy has anything below the knees. Spoke professionally and uh, kind of had a bad run of cards to say, and then they shut down everything online. So lost yeah. some thousands on that. Made a few bad decisions. What for? Here I stand. Yeah. So you're gonna sell it? The hell's going on here? He has shoes. Are you going to smoke it out? Nah, I don't think so. I know what you're doing. Okay, man, I'm done playing with the uh, playing belly work, chains. So. All right, cool. Thanks for giving me a little bit. All right, Mitchell, right up. here, all the way to the end, have a seat, and then Sear waving at you. Yeah. Good job, man. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Obviously, he's been smoking because you could smell it on his breath. He had a really strong smell. We went ahead and tried to... Ah! The ass... Possible, he could slip him off, yeah. so we're going to expedite him through because of his disability. So he grows marijuana, basically. There was a, a search warrant, and our narcotics unit uh, asked for me to go out there, and I uh, made, made contact with him. Did he have the uh, whole cultivating setup with the lights and the correct and the fertilizer mm-hmm. and the drip system? Right, several several rooms in the house. And you said a total of how many plants? I think there was a... Uh, Straight turpin. 100. Wow. All right. And if that wasn't enough, there's another armless man that's in trouble here. Same state, armless Florida man accused of stabbing tourist Washington Townsend. A homeless Florida man with no arms has been arrested for stabbing a tourist with scissors using his fo- feet police say i actually saw a video of this it was quite disturbing he was chasing somebody somebody was hauling ass the same guy jonathan dole crenshaw homeless man artist from south beach florida was arrested tuesday and charged with aggravated battery after he allegedly stabbed Cesar coronado a visiting tourist from chicago according to a witness coronado was asking crenshaw for directions when the man suddenly attacked him stabbing him in the arm before fleeing on foot Caesar said, I'm not from here, and this is not what I came here for. I came for a vacation. 
That's what he told News Channel 6. I just said, no. Do you know where this is? But as soon as I talked, the only thing he reacted was, he just cut me, man. Motherfucker was like Bruce Lee. After being found near the scene by police, Crenshaw told officers that he was lying down when a man came up to him and punched him in the head. Crenshaw said he pulled the pair of scissors from his suitcase with his feet and stabbed the man twice to defend himself, according to officers. Why would I go and attack someone else? No, no, I wouldn't do that. That's what he said. It's like, how the hell did I get stabbed? Like, it is the right way at the point because I can't believe with his legs someone could do that. Unfortunately... There are no comments for this one. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. My chair slips down. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll be back soon. We're going to do another live. I got several other videos coming out. So be sure to subscribe, hit the bell, hit the like button, do a dog a favor. We do not have a Discord anymore. For those of you wondering, there is no Midnight Radio Discord. It bloated up. I'll be back next time. Until then, all my best, Fruit Loops.